Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Sabah al-khair. Good morning, dear listeners. You're listening to Radio 3CR on 855 AM and Palestine Remembered with Robert Martin, Nasser Mashni and Yusuf Ahmed al-Rimawi. Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. February 25th, 1994, Jewish-Israeli terrorist Baruch Goldstein, along with other settlers from Kiryat Arba settlement near the Palestinian city of Hebron, perpetrated one of the worst massacres against the places of worship. The terrorists used grenades and machine guns at dawn prayers, killing 29 and injuring 150 Palestinians. On the 25th anniversary of this horrendous massacre, Nasser, Robert and I have spent long hours to reproduce in English one of the award-winning documentaries which was dedicated to the Ibrahimi Mosque massacre. So we will leave you over the next 24 minutes with a documentary titled I Was There and the source is Al Arabi Television. Stay with us. Ibrahimi Mosque Massacre. When 
At the beginning of the Israeli occupation of Hebron in 1967, the settlers started coming to the Ibrahimi Mosque from the eastern part and used to sit at the doorsteps of the mosque. Only the six or seven doorsteps of the mosque. Not more than that. Gradually and slowly they started proceeding until they started entering the mosque. After that they entered the doorway of the mosque. And then they started to have more control and then started harassing worshippers by cursing and yelling and shouting at them, throwing shoes and sometimes their flammable materials onto the carpet of the mosque. It kept going on like this until the early 90s. One day my younger brother was playing around the mosque and he came home and told us that the settlers are drafting on a paper, something on a paper and they are planning for something. Nobody took him seriously. On one of their holidays, the Purim holiday, they banned us from entering the Izhakiye court of the mosque. The people insisted that they will pray nowhere else but Izhakiye gate. They determined they would not allow us. There were later clashes between us and the settlers. And then the IDF interfered. Then came the governor and the intelligence services and also members of the religious community. An agreement was reached that we can enter after 10 p.m. They planned something and they wanted to do it that night, but they postponed it to the dawn prayer. It was my turn to lead the prayers and the study after the prayers. So when we entered, we noticed changes compared to what we have always been used to. Yes, the majority of us entered from this side, the eastern gate of the mosque. There was a Russian settler walking us in, but in a very sarcastic way, gesturing and waving his arms enthusiastically. But the die was cast. When I arrived at the mosque, the big lights around the mosque were strangely off. When I arrived at the western gate, I found it closed. So I went around to the eastern gate. As I am on my way, I saw four Israeli soldiers mocking us. We entered the gate and saw two more soldiers. 
It was an unusual scene of such presence of soldiers. We entered from the Solomon gate between Ishakiya and Yakubiya gates. There were three soldiers and four or five settlers behind them. The soldiers were like a barrier separating us from the settlers. All these were pieces of an unusual puzzle. The prayer commenced. I was in the second last row. Behind me was a row of children. During the reading of the Fatiha chapter, as the Iman was completing the chapter, we said Amin. I heard a voice speaking in Hebrew. This is going to be your end, not ours. The Imam started reciting another Quranic chapter. As we were about to kneel to the ground, the settlers thought we were going to only bow, but we kneeled. Our heads were on the ground. The settlers threw the first grenade. Had we only bowed, we would have suffered many more injuries by exploding in our faces. It was like an earthquake. We called it the earthquake of the Abrahamic tomb. As soon as the shooting began, the electricity was cut. When I looked behind, I saw the three attackers. I saw them all. Now they were shooting at full bore. Goldstein ran towards the Prophet Yusuf gate. The other attacker stayed at his post, and the third attacker continued to supply ammunition and weapons to the two attackers. I stood up thinking the noise was just a disturbance. Right next to me was an injured man. His name was Husni Rajabi. He grabbed me by my clothes and said, get on the floor, they're shooting live ammunition, and he shouted, God is great. I looked at Sheikh Adel and he asked me if I had been injured. I said, I don't know, does it look like it? Then I stood up to show him. The hot bullet shields started falling on me. I felt the burn on my neck, shoulders and arms. But I had no strength to get up. I wanted to run for my life, but I really could not get up. After the three attackers finished the shooting, two of them ran from Al-Sulaymaniyah gate. Goldstein went to another gate, trying to get at this one, but it was locked. So then he moved to another gate. He was confronted by one of the worshippers. His name was Salim. Salim hit the settler with the fire extinguisher and managed to injure him. And Goldstein emptied the remaining bullets in his machine gun into the body of Salim. Most of us were on the floor. The worshippers managed to get hold of Baruch Goldstein and hit him in tens with the metal partitions inside the mosque. Only after we were sure he was dead, we were able to stand up. Brother Salim was killed 
in this spot. There were pools of blood under every martyr and injured person. When I went to the gate, I entered from the eastern gate. It was locked with locks and chains, and with two Israeli soldiers standing there smoking and laughing. I then went to the western gate, where the washrooms and the big stairs are. I saw everyone leaving from there as the soldiers locked every other gate. There were heavy shootings outside the mosque by the soldiers. The people of Khalil went crazy with noise. Minarets from other mosques started calling out for help and shouting. The worshippers of Ibrahimi Mosque have been killed. A big massacre has taken place. The whole of Al-Khalil took the streets, cars and on foot, some even barefoot. People could not comprehend that such a thing could happen. After that, calls were made from other mosques. I saw everyone on the streets. This guy was looking for his brother, that for his father, a mother for her son. People were in their pyjamas. Some were barefooted. I will never forget this tragic and dreadful scene until the day I die. Who can believe that a person with even a single atom of humanity can open fire on worshippers? It's beyond belief and comprehension. Even if you unleash animals or beasts on worshippers, they will not attack like this. I was running between the dead and injured. We had to put four or five people in one car to take them to hospitals, not knowing whether they were injured or dead. The injured or dead people were transported by private cars. There was no ambulances. I saw martyrs stacked on the bonnet. There was no room. After a while, I realized I was injured here, my ribs. I put my hand inside my shirt and it came out bloodied. I told people near me I was injured. They took me to the nearest hospital. 
the Muhammad Ali Hospital. And I found so many people lined up in front of me. I did not know what was happening. Not knowing was itself very hard. I was taken in a Peugeot car to Alia Hospital, but there was no place for me. They then took me to Al Ahli Hospital and managed to just stop the bleeding. After that, I was taken to Maqasid Hospital in Jerusalem. After the dawn prayers, on Friday, we surprised to see two children brought to the hospital around 12 years old. The father who carried one of the boys was himself injured. I remember he was a Maraka family. Sadly, it was too late for the boy as he's already dead. But the father did not know. I then started treating the man, but he told me, I can tolerate the pain. Please treat my son. Minutes later, the second boy arrived. He was dead too. Soon after, injured people started arriving in big numbers. At one stage, this corridor was full, more than 20 injured people. The hospital reached its full capacity to treat patients within minutes. I remember Ali Hospital ran out of oxygen cylinders. To complicate things, it was still after hours and most of the medical staff were not there. I remember some of the injured people died waiting to be treated. We could do nothing. The emergency unit was not equipped to treat this type and number of injuries in such a short time. There are only two beds. We had to start treating people as they lay on the floor. I had to change my own drip. All of the doctors and nurses were in emergency. To my surprise, I found out some injuries took place outside of the Ibrahimi Mosque, near the hospital after they they donated blood. The killing was at the hands of the Israeli soldiers. The second wave of Israeli hostilities took place near Al-Hali Hospital, and this time by the soldiers. When people brought the injured and dead to the hospital, the Israeli army chased them. 
This added another 12 martyrs to the 29 killed at the mosque massacre. I was in the second floor at the hospital recording. Next to me were foreign journalists. I remember witnessing snipers target random people near the entrance of the hospital. We caught all of it on cameras. Some of the injured people killed were brought from the mosque to Al-Hali Hospital. More injuries and deaths took place at the hospital. I can tell you the hospital and its vicinity were full of people. Rescuers were bringing the casualties and leaving them immediately, paying their respects to the injured and dead. I then started asking about my family. I told the people around me, I have brother called Sufyan, another brother called Marwan, and my father Barakat. I also have a sister among the worshippers. Has anyone seen them? They told me no one knows anything. The hospital was in chaos. No one knows or understands anything. I didn't know that the doctors were trying to save my brother in the very next room. I had no idea. I was not supposed to move. They couldn't save him. He died. People didn't know if their relatives were alive or killed. People were buried immediately. Their relatives were worried that the martyred bodies would be kidnapped by the Israeli army. People were buried in such haste that many family members were not even aware that their relatives had been martyred. When someone was identified and the next of kin was about, the body was released and they were quickly buried. The second tragedy was the formation of the Shangar Investigation Committee by Israel. To my thinking, this was the real massacre. Israel formed the Shangar Committee. A few months later, they closed the mosque for six months. The victim was punished, and the punishment was to close Al-Shahida Street and separate the city of Hebron 
from the southern section of the city. The Shangar Committee sanctioned a peace for the Jews and a peace for the Arabs. Israel was judge, jury and the executioner. The absurdity. The judges decided that 54% of the mosque, its grounds and surrounds, are to be given exclusively to the Jews, and 46% to the Muslims. There would also be electronic gates for the Muslims to access the mosque. This is the tomb of the Prophet Ibrahim. Peace be upon him. The area over there is Yaqubiyya. It's called Yaqubiyya. It's Israeli now. They took it, of course. They took it from the Muslim Palestinians. And here, now you can hear them singing and chanting. This is a disco for them now. They banned 50 calls for prayer every month. And for 10 days each year, Muslims were banned entirely. They took the old vegetable market. Why, you might ask? So they could make it a hotel. The area of the boya, they took it. The vibrant heart of Hebron was cordoned off. And the Israelis said, this is ours, and it is forbidden for Muslims or Arabs to enter. They locked the mosque for six months. If we cannot move forward, please, brothers, head right. We will continue until we reach the mosque, peacefully. Let there be no violence. Move to the right. After the mosque was opened, I was the first to pray in the mosque. And the atmosphere was very depressing. The Israelis had dug under the tomb of our Prophet Ibrahim. The tiles near the pulpit, they entered the tomb. It was almost 16 metres deep under the mosque. And God knows what they have taken from the tomb and they've covered a square metre with cement. And they've taken the old carpets 
and replace it with new ones. The bullet marks on the wall are still visible, where they have tried to do a repair after their investigations. I believe the carpets were completely stained with blood and they were replaced. What are you going to say? Are you going to think about this man who died in his father's lap? What are you going to speak about? Stories that have no start or an end. Injustice can never be forgotten. This will always be a memory engraved in my heart. This week's edition of uh, Palestine Remembered. Thank you for being with us and remember to tune in next Saturday, same time, 9.30 in the morning. Until then, this is Nasser, Robert and Yusuf wishing you the best of time and salam. <laughs>